0: So hello, everyone. Welcome to Off Label Stepping Outside the Dispensary. Uh, My name is John. And my name is Tom. And we are two third-year pharmacy students at the University of British Columbia.
1: Yeah. So we started Off Label, our pharmacy podcast It's centering around non-traditional pharmacy career pathways. We hope that with this podcast, we can raise awareness and inspire students to explore new areas of pharmacy practice. And this passion project actually stems from our pharmacy leadership course. Tom and I are
0: super excited to invite all of you to join us on our series as we engage with various
1: pharmacy leaders from all types of industries. Tom, how are you feeling? (laughs) Yeah, so John, this is our first ever episode. Are you excited? Because I'm super excited for this. Yeah, I'm actually super
0: excited, but also I'm very nervous. My first time podcasting. I I, want to do a good job. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bit nervous, but I'm actually even more excited because we actually have a super special guest today. Mm -hmm. Um some words to describe our speaker. She is super well informed in all things about digital health and uh, she has a huge passion for artificial intelligence uh, as well as innovative pharmacy practice. Uh, We'd like to welcome Christy Chung to our podcast today. Hi Christy, how are you doing?
2: Good, thank you. Thank you for having (laughs) me.
1: How are you guys?
0: We're doing awesome as well.
1: We're excited.
0: So I guess just to, um, you know, to start off the podcast, maybe for our listeners, are you able to just provide just a very brief introduction about yourself and then maybe your background and I guess what kind of work you're currently doing?
2: Sure. Um, so I graduated from UBC Pharmacy back in 2019. So we were the first Uh, the guinea pigs of the PharmD program. Uh, And then after that, I went on to do an industrial pharmacy residency through U of T. And I did that with the company Sanofi Genzyme in the uh, neurology therapeutic area. And post-residency, I um, stayed on in a full-time position, which is what I'm doing right now as a medical science liaison in multiple sclerosis as well.
0: Mm, okay, I guess some questions about your industry um, experience. I guess here at UBC pharmacy or here in British Columbia, we don't really talk about industrial pharmacy. Uh, we're usually focused on community, as well as clinical or hospital pharmacy. So is there any particular reason or any sort of, um, I guess, moment that kind of pulled you towards pursuing pharmacy industry?
2: Yeah, so it's a a bit of a windy road, I guess. So when I was in first year, what I knew in terms of pharmacy career paths was really community and hospital, like you said. Um, We don't get much exposure to other industries and other types of work that pharmacists can pursue after graduation. Now, at the end of first year into second year, I somehow came across an advertisement for Healthcare Hackathon at UBC. Um, and it was jointly hosted by like the engineering faculty and also um, I think the faculty of life sciences. And I decided to join and mm-hmm. it was a 48 hour hackathon weekend where you form teams with engineers, computer scientists, healthcare students, and professionals, people from business backgrounds, and you come together to, you know, pitch a solution for a healthcare challenge. So that is when I was like, oh wow, like I want to do something more innovative in healthcare. Um, not that you can't innovate within community and hospital practice, but the business, the entrepreneurial side of things and the tech side of things in particular really appealed to me and I wanted to, you know, do something in that area after I graduated. Mm, now wow. And after graduation, I wasn't sure, you know, what I could do and or like what skill sets I needed to get into that area of healthcare innovation. So I kind of turned my focus to industry because biopharmaceuticals industry were at the forefront of medicine, and there mm-hmm. tends to be a lot of innovation, R and D, a bit more adoption of technologies. So I thought that this would be a really good first step for me to then explore more of healthcare innovation and hopefully in the future integrate technology into what I'm doing as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So Christy, just circling back to the hackathon, did you mm-hmm. feel like like you were prepared for the hackathon or would, would you feel like you're a bit like nervous for it?
2: That's a great question. I actually, I went in with no expectations mm-hmm. and our initial thought for hackathons would be like, oh, you know, people are working day in, day out. Programming an app or something like that. But mm-hmm. because it was a healthcare hackathon, I wasn't sure what to expect. And I went in and my team was composed of like half of us were engineers or computer scientists. And then there was myself, a physiotherapist as well. Mm. So us on the clinical side. Wow. Now, I was thinking to myself, you know, I have one year of pharmacy knowledge and mm-hmm. some <laughs> years of science <laughs> undergrad. But what can I really offer, right? Mm-hmm. But I found that as like the weekend went on and we were trying to prototype a solution for a particular patient, in our case, it was an elderly patient, a lot of things that came up, I was able to provide clinical and patient perspectives for just based on, you know, my community rotation or you know, any sort of patient interaction that I experienced in the past. Mm -hmm. So whether that be medication related or not even, I was able to speak up and advocate for the patient. Whereas people from other fields like in engineering and computer science, they may not have had that sort of interaction before. So I guess I became a bit more confident throughout the weekend. And I realized that there are perspectives that I can offer that will ultimately improve the solution
1: that we build. Wow.
0: I also know that, um, I guess, throughout pharmacy school, you actually were involved, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, some sort of like, like a pharmacogenomics type of project. Um, yeah. I believe it's called Molecular U. I um, mm-hmm. I was wondering if you just could maybe talk about like how you got involved in that and maybe what you did as uh, your role within the project.
2: Sure. You guys are asking all the right questions because that's kind of what happened after the first hackathon that I attended. So oh, okay. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that I, you know, it was really eye opening and I became interested in the intersection of healthcare and technology. Mm-hmm. But even after that, I still wasn't sure if I could create a career path with just those perspectives I provided over the weekend. So I started looking and Googling health tech startups in Vancouver, and I came across the Personalized Medicine Initiative at UBC, um, which also operated under the Faculty of Life Sciences at the time. Um, I don't know if it still exists right now, but under that initiative, there were a number of like startup cohorts that were all trying to advance personalized healthcare, and one of them was Molecular U. So when I reached out, I asked if, you know, I could shadow or intern or be a part of the team and just help out in any capacity that I could. And that's really what led me to start the pharmacogenomics project that I did. And because it was such a small team at the time, like under 10 people, I was really doing a bit of everything from like researching literature on pharmacogenomics data to just like creating patient-friendly information pamphlets um, Mm. to improving like the user interface of the platform so I guess I wore multiple hats but I was able to get a feel for how a health tech startup operates and how much they actually value a clinical perspective.
0: Mm. Yeah I mean like I just feel like They always say technology is disrupting healthcare, technology is disrupting pharmacy, and it's usually like in a negative light, usually, but there's actually a lot of positive things that can come with technology and healthcare coming together, and I think like all these projects that you've done are really prime examples of how not just pharmacists, but I guess healthcare providers or clinicians kind of get involved with entering that area of uh, expertise, per se.
2: Yeah, you're right. Actually, I never really thought about that. But like disruption, that word can come with a negative connotation. And especially if you're saying that technology is disrupting healthcare, or technology is disrupting pharmacy. But I would argue that are it's more of a transformation. And as pharmacists, mm-hmm. as clinicians, we're a part of that transformation. And some of us might not realize it, but we do have a voice. And we really just have to push ourselves out there and be a part of influencing, you know, healthcare 2.0 or something like that.
0: Mm -hmm, Most definitely. So after your experience with the hackathon and after getting involved with Molecular U, is that when you started to look into applying for the industry residency program and then Mm -hmm. looking into where you can get involved within that realm of healthcare?
2: Exactly. Exactly. So I just felt that by going into industry, I'd be able to really pick up new skill sets beyond the clinical knowledge that we get in school. And industry was appealing to me because after talking to like different people in industry, I realized that, you know, their goals were very similar to mine in terms of a career. And Mm -hmm. you work very cross-functionally in the industry setting. And I'm not talking about like interdisciplinary teams where you work with allied healthcare professionals. And I think that's still very valuable, but you're still within the confines of different healthcare professions. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. But in
2: industry, you work with people that come from business backgrounds that come from, you know, basic science backgrounds, marketing sales. And that's what I wanted to get out of my career. I wanted more of that side of things. Mm-hmm. And that's what really solidified it for me. So then I went on to apply for the residency program.
1: Mm. So um, Christy, when you're doing your residency program, I guess, mm-hmm. did, um, you, you said that you have to interact with various different departments within the company. Yes. I guess yeah. my question is, did that bring you any like Challenges uh, when, like, basically in school, we learn about like interacting with other healthcare professionals. But in your case, you're interacting with people outside your departments. Do you feel like there's any challenges with that?
2: That's a good question. I think if you're thinking about more of the clinical setting where you're all, you all come from a healthcare background, so you expect that you're all roughly on the same page. You're thinking about the patient, but when you're talking about the industry. I think a lot of people still come from some level of science background, but depending on which function or which team you're on, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to really communicate your perspective. Like if you're talking about sales, like I'm not one that knows anything about numbers or like (laughs) revenue generation. So you kind of have to learn as you go. Um, But I think that's the beauty of being in this industry because it's still patient first, but you come from very different angles Mm. um, and different perspectives. So learning how to communicate with each other is a different challenge from what it is like in the hospital setting, for sure.
1: I see.
0: I was wondering, um, I guess just for our listeners um, who may not be very familiar with industry or industry residency. So once you get Mm. accepted into the residency program, um, I, I know that it's a one-year residency program. How would you describe the program as a whole? And then maybe on a smaller scale, like what would your normal day look like? Like what would be the things or projects that you'd be working on? Because Tom and I, we've looked at like the industry residency program. And then there's all these roles. There's like medical affairs and then there's um, product development. And then there's all these different types of roles within the industry program. So I was wondering yeah. if you were able to kind of elaborate on the differences uh, for those who may not be as familiar.
2: Sure. So going back to the residency piece, um, there's only one program, unfortunately, across all of Canada, and that's through U of T. And more and more companies have signed up to be a part of the residency program now. So you'll see that there's 20 to 30 positions per year, whereas just a couple of years ago, I would say it was closer to like 15 to 20 Mm-hmm. Um, but there's more appetite for industry for sure. And largely the positions fall under medical affairs. And that's likely you know because of our Firm D backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just more geared from a clinical aspect and from a scientific aspect. And it would be more appropriate for us to be in the medical function. Mm-hmm. Now, medical affairs is different from a commercial function. And that's kind of how you broadly divide every pharmaceutical company, Mm -hmm. commercial means like the sales and the marketing side. In medical, we don't drive sales. It's really about medical education and scientific exchange. So anyone under medical affairs, our goal is to like, you know, interact with physicians within our specialty, within the therapeutic area that we work in and really communicate with them the science behind our molecules, the clinical trial data and so on and so forth. So it's a very science heavy discussion that we generally have. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it might be, you know, supporting educational programs where, Either we're educating doctors or doctors are educating residents or something like that. We might support like different research opportunities or studies, things like that. So that's just it in a nutshell. And then Mm -hmm. commercial is the commercial team would be the ones involved in driving sales, thinking about different tactics to um, have more doctors prescribe our medication. Kind of like that breakdown, very broadly speaking.
0: Mm -hmm. So then as a industry resident, you said that you were in medical affairs within your department. So then what would your, like, how would you describe your average day as a resident within the industry?
2: Yeah. So I guess for any of the listeners who are interested in pursuing the residency program, the reality is that every company's residency, um, how it's structured is very, very different. So I can only speak mm-hmm. on behalf mm-hmm. of my company. Mm-hmm. And even then within my company, it was only within the neurology therapeutic area, but Mm. at Sanofi Genzyme, we're very lean. So we operate similar to startup, but within the pharmaceuticals industry. Mm. Um, But I was very fortunate because I got to wear many hats because of it. And I'm of the mindset that if you get thrown into the deep end, you learn a lot quicker. (laughs) Um, Mm. So I definitely (laughs) welcomed that challenge. And no two days were the same, honestly. It's because I was the sole resident. I worked under the medical director. We had a medical advisor. And then we had three medical science liaisons covering all of Canada. So very, very small team. And I was basically supporting everyone in running their programs, supporting them logistically or in in terms of creating content. But I was also interested in learning from other functions. So I think the beauty is that Our residency is really, you get out of it what you put in, right? So Mm -hmm. I was able to take on side projects with, you know, people in different teams just to learn a bit more and to get a broader exposure. But my day-to-day fell under medical.
1: Mm -hmm. I see. Christy, when you did your residency, I guess it's very different to how it's like doing rotations from UBC, right? You kind of have... Yeah. Like, like, do you have projects that that you get assigned to, or do you have like projects that you're more passionate about? So you want to take more take initiatives on that? Or um, is it just? Yeah.
2: So actually, um, back to your question about what my typical day is, the Mm -hmm. reason I say no two days, the same, no two days are the same is because it's very much project based. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's not
2: just if you're a resident, like if you're working in industry, it's always going to be project based. And for me, I think it's it's always a conversation that you have with your direct supervisor or manager, but mm-hmm. I was able to take on, you know, projects that were my primary responsibility within Medical Shore, but I was also able to take on projects that I was particularly interested in. So you guys alluded to the fact that I was really interested in digital health and innovation earlier. So any mm. chance that I got to work on something in a similar vein, I definitely jumped on that mm-hmm. and tried to do something in that area.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess maybe transitioning into like your passion for digital health. Uh, I know that you're very passionate for AI. I know that you're also very experienced in podcasts, it's actually a podcast that or an interview that you've done Uh, before with, I guess, it was the Pharmacy Informatics Academy. Um, Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. you, there's this one part that I really, like, I watched some of the podcasts. It's one part I really liked how you said that AI is not meant to be like a replacement for anything. It's actually meant to be served as a complementary tool. And I think that's something that most people don't really uh, think about. I think most people think about AI as in something that's gonna, you know, replace all the pharmacists or it's it's gonna take away all these jobs. So I'm just wondering, like, how did your passion for AI kind of arise? Like, did it come from the your industry uh, residency experience or maybe it stemmed from the hackathon that you attended or, or or were you always interested in health technology?
2: Yeah, so I guess going back to the hackathon, I, I did that year after year just because it was so exciting for me. Um, but by the third time I did it, I realized, like, I was learning a bit more about technology but still not enough. And I went on to do, I guess, like a little side project of mine after third year. And I started to blog about various digital health technologies. And it was more so to keep myself accountable, to learn, to keep myself up to date about, you know, different technologies that we were starting to see in healthcare. And artificial intelligence just kind of fell into my lap, I guess. It was one of the topics that I ended up researching more about And then now I've gone on to like with another friend and colleague of mine in the US, we've gone on to develop like an AI education website for pharmacists and healthcare professionals. And that just stemmed from a random conversation that we had through, you know, after we met each other through LinkedIn. So Mm -hmm. we were talking about how there aren't a lot of artificial intelligence resources for healthcare professionals and specifically pharmacists. And we wanted to create something that was digestible and easily understandable because there's a lot out there in terms of research, but it's very, it's very heavy on the technology side of things. And we wanted to distill it down into something that any pharmacist who, you know, wanted to learn more about AI could.
1: hmm Just to plug in for Christy, her website is called AI Collective, and it's actually, like, me personally, I enjoyed it because I'm tech savvy as well. Like, I really enjoy digital health. So then um, her website, it's actually, I feel like it's very resourceful. And I guess you don't really need to know too much about AI and the, all the background and stuff. So I, I, I really like Thank Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, that's our goal. And I mean, we welcome any feedback if anybody is reading some of our content, but going back to your point earlier, John, I think it's not just that some people are worried that AI is going to replace our job potentials in the future, but I think mm-hmm. overall people are worried that technology is going to replace us. But mm-hmm. again, it, Connects back to our conversation about technology disrupting healthcare, and I think we need to be part of that movement. And there are actually a lot of healthcare considerations, and pharmacists can speak up and really shape the way that we begin to integrate technology into healthcare. It's not so much uh, technology disrupting the healthcare industry, and we'll just let it disrupt our industry, right? Mm -hmm. We really want to advocate from a healthcare perspective, advocate for the patient, and who knows that better than us, right? Mm -hmm. So the reality is there's going to be more integration of healthcare and technology because it might make us more efficient in what we do. But how that happens is really up to us. And if we don't come out and we just let the technology enthusiasts, you know, decide how they want to disrupt the healthcare industry, then that's the way it's going to go. So mm-hmm. my thoughts are that, you know, we need to stay ahead of the curve and we should be a part of transforming our industry going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Christy, I'm just, it just feels like you've done so much.
1: <laughs> during, no. Like
0: such a <laughs> short amount of time. And no. I think, I think this might be maybe a maybe a question that maybe our listeners might want to know. You know, as students, you know, we find that there's so much to study for. And then <laughs> there's also so many things that we want to do. And then we want to get involved. And I think stress is a really big um, it's a big consideration that a lot of students, yeah. um, you know, undergo through. And then just kind of talking with you, it seems like you've done a lot of projects. Um, you moved from Vancouver to Toronto for your residency. And like, you're taking up these initiatives about learning about AI and, you know, AI is something that I think a lot of people don't really know what AI is. So kind of taking up this topic, that's so difficult to kind of even understand or comprehend and digesting it into like, I guess, patient friendly or in, 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 in the terms. lay terms. Yeah. <laughs> lay terms. Something that people can yeah. actually digest it. How do you deal with like, I guess, how do you deal with all the things that you're doing and how do you deal with stress and managing your time and such? Mm-hmm.
2: So it it sounds like I have everything really put together, but you know, (laughs) the biggest, the biggest challenge for me, I think throughout pharmacy school and even now, even now, if I'm to be honest is I still don't know what I want or how to create my career path. Cause I know that what I want to do is not traditional. Um, Mm. I know that I want to be in healthcare innovation, And back then, I didn't know what that looked like, you know, and even now, I think my career's goals continue to evolve, it continues to adapt based on my experiences, based on the industry that I work in, but also like the environment that we live in, like things are changing so quickly, especially from a healthcare and maybe more specifically a pharmacy perspective, like we've heard of so many reforms that are coming our way in the pharmacy profession in the healthcare industry in Canada and in the US and the world. So I think it's actually just to like take things one step at a time. And it sounds very cliche, but I don't think you need to have a set passion in mind. Because I know a lot of people tend to ask us, oh, like, what are you passionate about? And I don't think you have to have that set in stone. I don't think you have to have that figured out. I think as long as you're curious about something, then stay open-minded and try to learn more or try to go into the direction of what you're curious about and see where that takes you. And I would say that as long as every career step you take it gets you closer one step closer to what you ultimately want to do then that's all that matters because i don't think it's as easy as you graduate and then you step right into your most ideal career you know mm-hmm. so that's why i think you have to be patient with yourself but also impatient in your career like if you are wanting to do something then just go for it mm-hmm.
1: so, so christy um speaking from personal experiences like while trying to do more, I guess, and also trying to be uh, curious, like, do you have any like advice, like for me or like for our listeners that are also, I guess, experiencing like when you try to like, I guess, mm-hmm. figure out yourself and try to find that passion? What do you do to like deal with setbacks or things that I guess are not going your way?
2: So I know not everyone likes to do this, but I tend to. I try to find myself like-minded individuals and a good group of friends and colleagues. Mm. And I think that's, what's really supported me along the way. And it doesn't, you don't have to have a big circle. So one or two or five or six, however many you would like. But I think by talking to these people, I'm constantly, or I have been constantly reassured that there are other people walking a similar unknown path mm-hmm. uh, like me. and there are other people wanting to step into healthcare innovation, wanting to transform the way you know we care for our patients. So I think keeping those people close to you and having them listen to your thoughts, whether they be good or bad, is a really great way to get past these challenges and setbacks. and that's I think the biggest thing for me uh, whenever I do encounter an obstacle.
1: I'm inspired. And,
2: and I, I think, like, for anybody out there who is, you know, worried or they don't really know, I'm always here. So feel free to reach out to me. Like, I love talking to people, be it students, you know, people that have been working in the industry for many years. I always feel like you learn a lot from another person's experience, story, and background. So, yeah, I'm all ears mm. if you need
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely mentorship is like really, really important. That's a really big factor, I guess, in, uh, in, in anything we do. Did you have like, I guess, Chrissy, did you have like a mentor yourself when you were in pharmacy school or someone that I guess you kind of looked up to while you're maybe whether it's in school or, or during industry or maybe even right now?
2: yeah and i have a number of people that i look up to and i still keep in contact with them so like i said like find your little circle of mentors that really understand you and know you know what you want to do in the future and they always have things to say that will teach you something
0: Mm -hmm. i guess speaking in terms of like mentorship and then so after after pursuing the industry residency program Mm-hmm. after that completion, you're still hired, you're working as a medical science liaison uh, within the yeah. department of neurology. You have like, maybe prior knowledge or experience in neurology. And that's how you kind of got into that department.
2: Yeah, so when I applied to um, Sanofi Genzyme, that was the only residency position that was offered. So it so happened. Mm-hmm. it just so happened that it was in neurology. But what's funny is, before pharmacy school when I was starting undergrad I was actually really interested in neuroscience and Mm. um, at the time McGill which is where I went to undergrad offered a neuroscience major but only for 30 students after first year and I didn't get in and it's just funny how it's come full circle because now I find myself (laughs) back in neurology
0: oh
1: that's pretty funny so, so Christy, I'm just curious. What what is the the big next uh, in terms of yeah. um, your career goal? I guess I'm, that's what yeah. I'm really interested in. Like, I know that you're currently the MSL for um, yeah. neurology in Sanofi, but um, like, what's next? I really want to know.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's a good question. Um, I I think about that all the time. I don't have a specific answer. So hopefully that reassures all our listeners that you don't need Mm -hmm. to know what your next step is. Um, But I have some thoughts and the reality is, you know, our healthcare industry, including the biopharmaceuticals industry, we are quite behind in terms of technology, as I'm sure we all know. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to leverage my training in pharmacy as well as in medical affairs to go on to a role where I can be a part of digital transformation for healthcare and for the pharmaceuticals industry. What that looks like or what that job title is, I have no clue. Uh, (laughs) Maybe it's like a medical digital strategist or something like that but I'm just trying to bridge the gap between Mm -hmm. medical, clinical, that set of things and Mm -hmm. technology. So Mm -hmm. we'll see We'll see where the next couple of years take me.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe it could be a new position that could be opened up by our industry. You yeah. Know, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That,
2: Exactly. That's I, really be creating my career path.
1: Yeah. Cause I know that, um, so, so I know I was looking at the residency, like, uh, like these few years, like the Toronto residency program the, and the companies that they offer different, I guess, uh, positions. Cause I know, uh, Roche have this, like last year, they have something called personalized health. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it's not offered this year anymore. I guess it's filled. Oh, but, uh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But then I think, like you said, right? Like a lot of companies, they, I guess, if they have the idea and the innovation, they want to try out new things. So I think, yeah. like, when I was reading the, the description, I was like, oh, personalized health. That's like really, like, I guess, cooperating digital health within industry. Then I guess yeah. like, so. You never know, Christy. Maybe um, you will be taking care of the <laughs> next project manager.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully so. I think right now, like I I am involved here and there in some like digital innovation projects within the company. So I'm just trying to get more experience being a part of crafting a digital project within our industry, but I do see it coming. So I do think the pharmaceuticals industry, they definitely have an appetite for digital um, and technologies. We're just trying to figure out collectively what that looks like and how we can do it in a way that actually translates into better outcomes for our patients. Because while I get really excited about digital, Mm -hmm. the one Mm -hmm. important thing is we can't just do digital for digital sake. It's not like, Oh, the newest fancy app out there. Mm -hmm. Um, It looks super cool. Like that, if that doesn't translate into better outcomes for patients or better efficiency in doing patient care, things like that, then there's no use to it. So Mm
0: -hmm. I think
2: it's important to recognize that. And I want to be in a role that supports technology, but in a way that's Beneficial. A win for us mm-hmm. and the patients. Exactly.
1: I see. So then I know that we talk a lot about technology and then that you're involved with a lot of technology-based stuff. So do you think, I guess for our listeners out there, like, do you think having like a comm side background, is that even necessary? Or do you think it would be beneficial for our listeners to have that background knowledge?
2: So if it makes anyone feel better out there, I don't know how to code. I don't know how to program. <laughs> um, Actually, one prof at UBC told me because I remember asking him this once um, and I don't think it's necessary because we're coming from an angle um, that speaks to the clinical perspective. And that's what's always going to be our forte unless you're really passionate about computer science and programming then i don't think it's something that necessarily need to adopt to be in healthcare innovation because in our society we're very much interconnected and going forward it's not going to be just healthcare professionals driving healthcare the reality is mm-hmm. we're going to have people like computer scientists engineers a part of the team mm-hmm. transforming healthcare so i think it's important to rely on everyone's strengths And as long as you know a bit about like how to communicate with one another, understanding each other's strengths, as well as like limitations of the technology, for example, then I think you're good. But for people who are wanting to delve a little bit into the coding aspect, then by all means, I tried and I didn't get very far.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah coding's hard. I try to do yeah uh, yeah I, it's really difficult in my opinion but
0: <laughs> I guess just to like nick your brain, Chrissy, you talked about like mm-hmm. i guess health innovations, how we can kind of incorporate technology into healthcare and improve outcomes. do you have like any like Whether it's like ideas or maybe you're aware of new um, technology that's coming up that's being integrated into healthcare. Like, do you have any examples of um, anything that's on its way or maybe it's already out and it's kind of um, providing that benefit for patients?
2: Well, there's a lot, to be honest. Like, digital health has grown so quickly over the past few years and even more so by covid during the pandemic and a prime example of like something that's received increased adoption would be telemedicine that's something that Mm um most of us can relate to right a lot of people are very open to virtual consultations Mm -hmm. but then there's also another subfield of digital health called digital therapeutics, which has seen increased receptivity and also like authorization by the FDA in the US. It's basically software that's intended to treat, manage, or prevent diseases. So we'll see a lot more coming our way, I think. And I think this especially is a field that pharmacists can be involved in because it's something that doctors may have a hand in prescribing. And as pharmacists, we can be the ones educating patients on how to effectively use this therapy and Mm -hmm. what the digital aspect is, how that translates into efficacy, but also like if there are any side effects and how that's managed, right? Mm
0: -hmm. So I guess like maybe in the future, doctors are not just prescribing like like medication, but it's actually some sort of digital product that will help them exactly. with, their, with yeah. their disease management or disease prevention.
2: Yeah, so like there are a few examples out there that have been FDA approved in the US. Um, there are some that have been approved in countries across the world as well. So. There's one for opioid use disorder. It's a digital platform and something that you can, I I believe you can just boot it up on your iPad, but it leverages cognitive behavioral therapy and it's meant to be prescribed for somewhere around 84 to 90 days. And there are a number of, I guess, activities on this platform that's intended to improve how you manage your disease.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I, I've never actually yeah. thought about,
2: huh.
0: I guess, the intervention itself can be technology-based, which is yeah, actually really interesting. And-
2: Yeah, but these don't necessarily have to be stand-alone therapeutics. Mm -hmm. They can be used as an adjunct to Mm -hmm. an existing medication, which is the one that I was talking about earlier. It's meant to be, it's meant to provide CBT, but Mm -hmm. in addition to maybe your usual therapy, depending on like what your prescriber thinks is best for you, right? Um, But yeah, there's like lesson plans and quizzes and, Gives you rewards. It's like almost like a little bit of gamification involved.
1: So, um, we all know that um, we're in this difficult circumstances right now. Um, How do you think COVID affect your work, Christy?
2: Oh, um, definitely I'll work from home for the Uh
1: near future. We've we've
2: been told. Are you
1: still at Toronto right now? Yes, I'm still in Toronto. Okay.
2: And we've been told that likely it's going to be virtual for the remainder of the year. And it's interesting starting a new position virtually. Mm -hmm. I guess I was fortunate because like when I was a resident, I still got at least half a year in the office to actually meet my team. So it's Mm -hmm. not like I haven't met my team in person, but starting this new role where my, a lot of my day to day is interacting with um, neurologists, All of my introductions to them have been virtual. So I've never met any of them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think the thing is like a lot of these, um, they're like my external partners, right? These physicians, Mm -hmm. a lot of them are screen fatigued. There's so many like webinars (laughs) out there. Exactly. And there's, you know, there's just so much going on on screen, that -hmm. sometimes they just prefer being on phone or something like that. So to be honest, it hasn't been too challenging for me, Mm -hmm. for the physicians that I've met, and I've been able to work with, I've had a really good experience. Um, But I do recognize that A lot of them, including myself, like before Christmas time, it was just like, oh, I've been looking at the screen all day, (laughs) all night. But I, on the flip side, I think I've been really efficient, very productive. I don't have to commute to work anymore. Um, I can just wake up and go straight to my laptop. Uh, So I think there's good and bad, like the bad might be because I'm so used to being on screen at night, I'm still going to check my phone, check my emails. So there's no Mm -hmm. like turning off from work. Um, So you have to make a conscious effort. Mm -hmm. to have a good work-life balance
1: (laughs) well I'm the totally opposite I because I feel like when I'm at home because we're on zoom as well and then I feel like I'm not that productive compared to if we're in person but (laughs) I guess that varies yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. I
2: think it might it might be different because you're listening to lectures and it's really easy to get distracted by like stimuli around you. But mm. for me, it's a lot of like meetings where I have to be present. I have oh, to be have to speaking. Be. Right. So mm. it almost forces you to be, you know, be there. Um, but I, I, I get what you mean. Like if you're just listening to a lecture, which might have very dry content or something like that, then <sighs> it's harder to pay attention. Mm.
0: Christy, just, just, uh, you mentioned that, so I guess, through your work as a MSL in the neurology department, Mm -hmm. you're in close contact with all the neurologists within, I guess maybe not just Toronto, but maybe all of Canada. Um, So
2: um, for our team, we have three MSLs. So mm -hmm. I cover all of Ontario and then Mm -hmm. my counterparts cover Western and then Quebec and Atlantic.
0: Okay. So then I'm just wondering, because... You just did your residency last year, and so you're a very fresh uh, new graduate, and do you feel that when you're interacting with maybe like neurologists who have like X amount of years and expertise, or maybe you're around people that have um, so much more experience than you, do you feel like you have like imposter syndrome at times? Because I think that's something that a lot of students and even like current residents Mm-hmm. kind of experience like oh do I belong here like or how, like how did I end up here and like how am I going to be able to uh be as good as um x y and z kind of thing
2: yeah no that's a good point and I I did feel that way at the start and sometimes I still feel that way I think especially covering Ontario a lot of the physicians that I work with are internationally renowned and they come from very big academic centers regionally and they're you know they're well known they're speakers at conferences so definitely my knowledge of multiple sclerosis is not nearly as good as theirs but I don't think you can really think like that. Like my work I'm not the one diagnosing and treating patients. I'm mm. there because it's almost like a pharmacist, like I'm a drug expert, I know the data behind the molecules that we have as a company. So mm-hmm. should they have any questions, I'm there to answer. And like we're taught in pharmacy school, if we don't know, we go looking for the answer for them. But
0: mm-hmm.
2: I think that's how I see it. And it's okay not to know. Um, and then the other responsibilities I have is to like to support them in different research initiatives or educational programs so it's not it's really about how you build that relationship with your partner with your collaborator with that physician in the end and I think if you go in with the mindset that you're a partner to them then I think that alleviates some of the fear that you were talking about
0: mm-hmm Well that's definitely pretty uh, reassuring and yeah if you don't know the answer then you know that's okay we can just go out looking for it which is a really.
2: Yeah exactly and I think that applies even in the hospital setting in the community setting like I know there's going to be interactions with doctors but I think it's really important just to see them as a colleague of yours and there's going to be expertise that you can offer there's going to be things that they know better but it's really Mm -hmm. how you work together to improve patient outcomes Mm -hmm.
0: i guess then just one final question christy maybe for our listeners who are students or maybe even professionals right now who are you know they want to apply for the industry residency program do you mind just Mm -hmm. very briefly just talking about what the application process is like and then maybe if you have any uh, tips or advice for uh, students and professionals that want to go into this field.
2: Yeah. So like um, when I applied for residency, I started doing my research into the various companies after third year. And I think it's really important to get firsthand perspective. So I started to reach out to people on LinkedIn and that's something that I harp on time and time again. When I talk to people, I think LinkedIn is your best resource for connecting with people Um, from an industry that you might be interested in. So I talked to people from different companies, I started to understand, you know, the therapeutic areas that each company was involved in. I wanted to see, uh, you know, how forward thinking they were, because that's something that I'm really interested in. So if this company was more open to innovation, I felt like I gravitated towards that company a bit more. And then just by speaking to people, I think that really solidifies it because they've worked there. They understand the company and the team culture, and that really helps you find a company that fits well for you. So that research process, I think, took me all summer. And then I started working on my applications. And for the residency in particular, I believe the applications are usually due end of September into mid-October. Mm -hmm. and then afterwards you'll get invited for interviews if you're successful Mm -hmm. and then starting to practice for interviews because it's definitely a different beast compared to interviewing for hospital or community I think in industry they really want to see your soft skills your people skills Um, and it's not so much your clinical knowledge because the clinical aspect can be taught and they trust Mm. that your pharmacy curriculum trained you well enough in the scientific aspect. So even in my role now as an MSL, I interviewed with different companies as well before getting this position. And what I learned is that what they're looking for is really your communication skills, your interpersonal skills, how you build and maintain relationships with other people. And the clinical stuff is something that can be trained. Mm -hmm. Wow.
1: A lot of good advice out there for our listeners and also um, um, for me and john uh, because we're really passionate (laughs) about this area as well Mm -hmm. um so um thank you christy for your time we really appreciate you uh taking your time and coming to our podcast and then uh, not at all thank
2: you for having me
1: (laughs) no thank you and then uh we would like to thank all the listeners for tuning in for our first episode please don't forget to follow the podcast and we will see you guys uh, next time awesome
0: goodbye guys